Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Jesus directly calls for his followers to live sacrificial, uncompromised lifestyle with consistent godly choices. Now, I don't know about you, but I fail in that quite often. I fail in that way too often than I should. But that doesn't mean that that's not my goal. And that doesn't mean that Jesus says, well, just forget it because you can't match that goal. No, he says, this is the goal. This is the direction. This is the focus that needs to be in our lives to where we are dying to self daily. Why do I have to die daily to myself? Because this whole carcass comes back alive every morning. Contrary to what you might have been taught from your local televangelist, Christianity is not a cakewalk where one gets every heart's desire. Instead, True discipleship is about sacrifice and putting another's needs ahead of your own. In today's message from Luke, Pastor David encourages us to make the difficult decision to make daily right choices that are pleasing to the Lord. As we consistently do the right thing, the Holy Spirit produces good fruit through us that is pleasing in the sight of the Lord and among men. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Ready or Not. We, uh, a few weeks ago, we were in Luke chapter 9, and we were in uh, verse 20, and we touched on it a little bit. Uh, I want to back up to uh, that, that time frame. Actually, it backs all the way up to verse 18. It happened as Jesus was alone praying that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, who do, you, who do the crowds say that I am? And so they answered, John the Baptist, some said Elijah, others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. But then Jesus asked this very pertinent and very pointed question to his disciples. To his disciples, he says, but who do you say that I am? The importance of that question cannot be uh, over uh, uh, declared because again, for you and I, it doesn't matter really well, it does matter, but it doesn't matter what the world says. What matters is what you say, what your answer is to this question. Who do you say that Jesus is. And Peter, our guy Peter, who's usually the the first one not only to step forward, but many times to put his foot in his mouth, uh, Peter does and step up to the bat and he hits a home run this time. He really gets it right on. Peter responded that you are the Christ of God. And then Jesus strictly warned them and commanded them to tell this to no one saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Jesus didn't want them to raise up his Messiahship at that point in time. We looked at those verses, like I said, a few weeks ago. 
And we spoke about the fact that in Matthew's version of this event within the gospel, Matthew actually expands the conversation, gives us the fullness of the conversation. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Matthew responds that Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus answered and said back to Peter, uh, he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. We spoke about the fact that this kind of understanding that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the anointed one of God, isn't something that we come through by logical understanding. Well, I've read all the facts, I've weighed all the things, and yes, I do believe that Jesus is the Christ. Because if you really and truly understand the significance of being the Christ, being the anointed one, being the Messiah of God, it's much more than just a, a verbal assent to that reality. It's a heart assent. It's a, it's a heart change that brings that about to us. It's only when we can come to the point of realizing Jesus of Nazareth truly is the Messiah, that's the only time that we can really come to that point of making him Lord and Savior in our life. Peter's declaration wasn't just a regurgitation of facts. It was a personal declaration of who Jesus was to him personally, to him personally. Not just, well, yeah, this is who you are. No, to me personally, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus testifies to the fact that there, there had been this work done within Peter's life that, that, that could only be done by the Spirit of God. It wasn't something that Peter came on by himself. Not just simple mouthing of a phrase, not just saying the right words, signing on a dotted line. None of these things ever saved anyone. What saves us is when we come to that personal realization and surrender to the reality of that truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Salvation only comes as we're drawn by the Holy Spirit to surrender our lives into that plan and into that purpose of God for our own lives. And that comes through a full recognition that comes through faith, surrender, and commitment of our lives to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I don't know if you realize this. I don't know if you've really come to that full understanding or not, but Jesus, neither as he walked on the earth, nor does he now allow for easy believism, okay? An easy believism that unfortunately is proclaimed by a lot of pastors today, a lot of evangelists today, that, oh, you just come to Jesus, just say the words, and boom, you're in. Just sign on the dotted line, boom, you're in. Come, just join our church, boom, you're in. Jesus doesn't allow for that. The word of God does not allow for that. He called for death of our own self and full surrender of our will to his will and to his plan for our lives. Listen to the very words as we continue on this morning. Our Luke chapter nine, look at verse 23 as we continue. Then Jesus said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Do you understand what we just read? Do you really comprehend the words that Jesus is saying there? And even more beyond that comprehension, do you fully agree with him? Do you fully agree with him to the point that you've taken it to heart in in your own life? If we understand it and if we agree with it, then it ought to impact our lives in a way that I'm afraid that many who claim the name of Christian totally miss. They totally miss what Jesus is speaking here. Jesus declared, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And what he's clearly speaking about here is this personal self-denial, this consistent sacrificial obedience in our life. And if we're not really sure what that means, what what exactly do you mean by this self-denial? What are you speaking about when you say this sacrificial obedience of following you? What does he say here in verse 24? He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And again, that's not hard to understand. There's no hidden Greek meaning or or Hebrew meaning in this. The words say what the words say. You desire to save your life. You're grabbing on for so much in this world that you're trying to take so much in this world and and grasping for so much in this world and you desire the things of this world and of this. You know what? If you're so focused on this, you're going to lose it for eternity. But if your mind is willing to say, you know what, the stuff of this world, hey, you know, we eat, we, we, we sleep, we have covering, we have plenty. Man, I want my life to count for Christ. I'm willing to lose the things of this world. The things of this world have absolutely no hold on me. It's only then that really spiritual life, eternal life comes to you and I. Again, it's not the signing of a card. It's not the verbalization of a prayer. It's the reality of a life that is surrendered to him. Jesus directly calls for his followers to live sacrificial, uncompromised lifestyle with consistent godly choices. Now, I don't know about you, but I fail in that quite often. I fail in that way too often than I should. But that doesn't mean that that's not my goal. And that doesn't mean that Jesus says, well, just forget it because you can't match that goal. No, he says, this is the goal. This is the direction. This is the focus that needs to be in our lives to where we are dying to self daily. Why do I have to die daily to myself? Because this whole carcass comes back alive every morning. I look in the mirror and there he is again. And we got to work on that continual dying to self in order that Christ might live through us. Yet many... Many who call themselves Christians never really consider that kind of depth in their commitment. They want to be Christians without personal sacrifice. They want to declare the name of Christ and have heaven as their future without ever really surrendering their own will or surrendering their own desires. Let me ask you this morning, how does that work? You need to know it doesn't work. It doesn't work in God's kingdom. 
It will not add up according to God's word. It does not and it will not work that way. The apostle Paul, he understood it. He understood exactly what the teachings of Jesus were. That's why he later declared in the book of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. You know what? I, I died. It's no longer I that's living right now. It's Christ that's living in me. Why? Because he lived that kind of a sacrificial life. His life didn't really matter that much to him. But Living had that life that he had for the things of Christ were what consumed him, what drove him. It was a passion of his life. Jesus desired for his followers to fully understand that what it was when they committed themselves to him. Elsewhere, he talks to the people of counting the cost. You say you want to follow me? Hey, before you come and say you want to be a believer, stop for a minute. Count the cost. Understand what this is going to cost you to say, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Hopefully, for those of you that are here today, you counted the cost. You know what it is. You know what Jesus said when he says, hey, you need to live a life of self-denial. You need to be uh, taking up that cross. You need to be dying daily. You need to be seeking after the things of heaven more than the things of this earth. Jesus told him, count the cost. Man, what, what man ever went to build a house and started building it and then ran out of money at the middle of it? And so all of the neighbors began laughing at him because he tried to do that. He says, what, what army ever went against a, 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 an enemy without first going out and seeing what the enemy looked like? Counting the cost before we make that kind of a commitment. Here he continues on in verse 25. He said, what profit is it for a man? If he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or is lost. There's so many who take on the name Christian, who strive more for the things of this world than they do for the presence and the power of God's kingdom in their lives. If we could backtrack over the, over the weeks, over the months, perhaps over the years of our lives, how much have we truly invested in our growth in our relationship with Christ compared to the grabbing for and gaining the things of this world? So many. Why do we do that? Why do we who are called followers of Christ strain and, and, and strive so hard for the things that are going to burn away anyway? for the things that are actually going to separate us from that relationship with Christ. Jesus himself declared that we ought to seek his kingdom first and foremost. He says, all these other things I'll give to you. Don't worry about these things. If you seek me first in your life, I'll take care of these other things. So why do we flip it around and as believers reach and grab for all that we can? I believe it's because we bought into the lie. I believe it's because we bought into the lie that says that gaining the things of this world are going to bring about happiness and contentment in our lives. I, I, I think it's because we've bought into the lie that gaining the things of this world are going to satisfy our deepest desires, our, 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 our deepest longings in life. Oh, if I just had this in this world. Oh, if I could just obtain this in this world. We've fallen for the lie that gaining the things of this world is, is what's going to bring us peace and personal fulfillment in our lives. 
Yet, beloved, you need to understand that the more we gain, the more we need, because the emptiness of our lives is never going to be able to be satisfied by the pleasures and the possessions of this world. The enemy, he continues to come at us. Oh, but if you had this, if you just did this, if you just went here, so much would be better for you. Rather than seeking, Lord, what is it that you would have in my life? And in case you feel that I've, I've misinterpreted or I've, I've put too deep of a meaning on what Jesus is speaking here, it, James has the same interpretation. And when James writes in his book in James chapter 4, he's writing to the church. Do you realize he's writing to the church, as James writes? He's writing to professed believers of Jesus Christ of his day as well as of our own day. And this is what he writes in James 4, verse 4. He says, don't you know that friendship with this world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow, why is that? Why, how, how could that be? I mean, we're living in this world. But all throughout the word of God, we see where the people of God, though they lived in the world, they weren't a part of the world. And every time they went to be a part of the world, destruction came upon them. Every time they came to be a part of the world, they, 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 they lost in fellowship with God. And the punishment of God, the correction of God, the discipline of God would come down upon them. Why would it be that to gain a little bit more in this life would be so dangerous? Because as we strive for the things of this world, there are times most often that we end up compromising our spiritual lives in order to gain just a little bit more. I'm not saying that wealth is bad. I'm not saying that possessions are bad. What I'm saying is when the wealth and when the possessions become the focus and the drive of our lives, when they're superseding our desire for Christ, our passion for Christ, then, beloved, we've lost our way. We're going the wrong direction. And it will destroy us. It'll knock us out of the game totally. The reality and the truth of who we are as believers. Back when I was a kid, we used to play a game. It had no electronic parts to it at all. As a matter of fact, it didn't have any parts to it. We, we didn't need anything for this. That's the simplicity of some of our childhoods, right? It was a simple game, probably most of you know the game, called hide-and-seek. You know how the game is played. One person is it, and that one person that's it, they go and they hide their eyes for a period of time, 20 seconds, 100 seconds, whatever, you count to 100, and all the rest of us would scatter. We'd go and hide, and we'd try to find a secure place to hide so that when the one that was it comes out, they couldn't find us, and we could make it to home base without being tagged out. Because once you're tagged out, you're out of the game. You remember that game, don't you? The problem is that sometimes we felt we had plenty of time to find just that perfect spot. We thought, oh, I got plenty of time. No, I don't want to hide there. I'm going to go find another. No, I'm not going to hide there. No, I'm going to find. And then pretty soon, while we're still looking for a hiding place, we hear the one it saying, ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, and, and man, we're, we're, we're busted at that point in time. And so we're trying to hide behind anything. And we're, we're so obvious and so easy to be tagged and out of the game. I want to tell you this morning that there's a voice that's crying out really loudly right now. 
ready or not, here I come. And it's not the Lord's voice that I'm speaking. No, when the Lord says, hey, here I come, we're looking forward to that one. Well, hopefully you're not going to be hiding from that voice. You're going to be running out and say, well, here I am. But there's another voice that's crying, ready or not, here I come. And his desire is to tag you and get you out of the game. And he's going to use every way that he can. And he's not going to wait until you're secure in a place and strong in a place. He's going to take you while you're most vulnerable. He's going to tag you and get you out of the game. The moral decay, the very fiber of our nation, continues to crumble. We no longer have a moral consciousness nor a moral compass to stand by. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. We used to have things that were right and wrong and good and bad. And when someone was living bad, everybody knew, man, that's bad. You don't want to live that way. Well, what he's doing, what he's saying, that's wrong. I would never talk that way in public. But you know what? Now, good is evil and evil is good. We're in that place right now where every man is doing what's right in his own eyes. Why? Because they they no longer look to the things of God. They no longer have any kind of foundation of them. No biblical foundation, no moral foundation, because we've moved one more generation away from the truth of God's word. And one more generation, and one more. How many generations does it come until we are so dark in this world? in this nation. Well, ready or not, here he comes. It doesn't seem to matter anymore what you're watching, whether it be movies or television shows or series, whether it be dramas or uh, comedies, even, even documentaries. But more and more often, and definitely more blatantly than before, men and women of faith, particularly those who are professing to be Christians, are personified as idiots, as villains, as bigots, or worse. I don't know if you've noticed that, but man, we are are seeing this more and more. Suddenly, it's the Christian on there that's that's so crazy, so so nuts. And God help you if you're a pastor, because they're the really wacky ones, okay? I don't know, there's probably merit for that, but uh, we look and see our our whole media is, is, is shifting that way. And you, as a person of faith, you, you're an idiot? You, you believe this? Come on. You know, intelligent people don't believe this. That's what the media is declaring. That's what's being poured over and over into our culture. Ready or not, here he comes. The same time that we've seen some really good faith-based movies, we also see the rise of these films that, that supposedly are based upon Bible stories. And yet they are so biblically wrong that you have to wonder, man, did they even look at the the story in the Bible before they wrote the script? And the sad thing about this is there's a lot of Christians that go to these movies and say, oh, that was awesome. Oh, that was so great. That was so wonderful. No, it wasn't. It was an absolute perversion of the truth. Had nothing to do with the truth. Maybe a name was correct. Maybe a place was correct. But everything else was wrong and definitely not from the word of God. And people are feeding into it. Beloved, ready or not, here he comes. The reason this is becoming so blatant, I believe, within our culture is because within our churches, 
Within the walls of our churches, we are even becoming more and more biblically illiterate. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make us more.